And we're going to turn in our Bibles uh, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. We've been looking at parables this summer, uh, you've noticed that I'm sure, and uh, today we're going to be looking at a parable uh, from Matthew 13 known as um, the weeds and the tares, uh, that's maybe King James language, the, the, the weeds, uh, sorry, the, the wheat and the tares, or uh, the weed and the wheat, something like that, so maybe if you're using the ESV, Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read from verse number 24. And this is what God says. He, that's Jesus, put another parable before them, saying that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Cast your eye down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world and the good seed is the, is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And we'll end a reading at verse 43. Uh, turn with me again, please, uh, to Matthew 13. I like to have eyes on the text. That's what it's all about um, as we consider um, this passage again uh, today. Wheat among, weeds among wheat is uh, what we're considering today. Let's, uh, let's pray together just a moment before we come um, around God's word again. Father, we, we do pray that you would um, open our eyes, that we would see uh, wonderful things in your law. Uh, teach us to live in this world as your people. Uh, we ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Know your enemy. Now, that's a phrase uh, that's derived uh, from an ancient Chinese uh, book called The Art of War, uh, written in the 5th century uh, before Christ. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, it was like a, a go-to manual uh, for, for warfare. It's got tactics in it. It's got uh, ideas of what to do with the enemy when you capture them and all sorts of stuff like this. In this parable of Jesus Christ's present day, uh, we get to know our enemy. Uh, with one eye on a future day uh, as well uh, today. Uh, before uh, we look at, at the enemy, um, remember uh, what's going on here in Matthew 13. 
Jesus is, is, is teaching. He, he's telling parables uh, by the sea uh, to, to, to the people as they gather. He, he's teaching truth uh, to those in front of him. Uh, he, he's teaching about, about God and his, and his working uh, in the world. He's revealing the mysteries of the kingdom uh, to those who will listen, uh, to those with ears uh, to hear. And again, he, he turns to the familiar uh, for his audience uh, to do that. He, he turns to farming. Remember, there are not many pure computer programmers or, or bloggers in Jesus' day, but farmers, well, they were everywhere. Here in, in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven uh, to a, a farmer sowing seed in a field. Now, we've heard this one before, you say, uh, last week, in fact, with uh, Rodney teaching us from further up the passage, but, but this is not the same story. Uh, we need to be careful. This is different. Uh, there, there is more to learn here about the kingdom of heaven, uh, and the earnest follower will always want to learn more, as the disciples show us uh, in verse 36. Explain to us, they say. Uh, we want to know more. Uh, I trust you do this morning. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the earnest disciple's position as they come to hear from Jesus. As we saw before, uh, that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is Jesus' way of explaining the coming rule of God in the world. Uh, a, a rule which, which he, Jesus begins as he walks at the earth, but which isn't fully realized then or, or even now. <clears throat> this parable is about the future. Uh, you, you noticed that, didn't you? It has that um, eschatology thing going on. Now, that's a big word, uh, which, which means uh, the, the, the end game of the world uh, and every one of us. The future, when all the wrongs are, are put right. The, the, the end game, when, when every, everything comes under Jesus' feet. It comes under his righteous reign. When at the end of the age, every knee bows to King Jesus. I wonder how you feel about the future. Perhaps... You, you fear the future, I don't know. Um, perhaps you're, you're, you're watching or listening to this and you, and you fear going out even. This passage, this passage reminds us that, that the end is certain, as Jesus tells it. It's known, it's under control. Jesus has it in hand in the days of a, of a global pandemic. That, that's, that's good to remember, isn't it? That we're not depending on hand gels or, or not catching the, the virus by our own defense mechanisms or, or carefulness. No, 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 we're, we're depending on a sovereign God, a God who knows the very numbers of the hairs of your head and mine and the exact number of, of your days and mine and the final outcome when Jesus reigns, when his kingdom comes fully and we're with him as his people. And yet, to this coming rule, there is opposition. A very real opposition that's shown in the story by the presence of an enemy. And also by that abrupt word, but, in verse 25. As Jesus reveals the mystery of the working of the kingdom, he tells us there's an enemy. A very real, live enemy of the kingdom. Notice, firstly, enemy Intel. We've got some insight into his workings. We, we haven't many farmers in our congregation. Uh, it's a geographical thing, isn't it? 
So it's probably easier for us to think in terms of gardening. We've got some gardeners in the congregation. Uh, Jareth and I are not great gardeners. Um, you can tell that if you drive past our house. You'll see a, a box tree at the front of our, um, at our front door that is uh, decidedly browner than it should be. Uh, it should be green. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long time since it's been green. We, we tried to resuscitate it, but I don't think it's going to happen. We're not good with the discipline of watering. But uh, many a good gardener, unlike us, <laughs> many a good gardener has a battle with the weeds. And Jesus' story goes like this. Verse 24, a farmer sows good seed in his field. It's, it's wheat seed. Verse 25, while his men are asleep, uh, the enemy comes over against the, the good seed, uh, the, the promising good crop comes the act of an enemy. He, he sows weeds among the wheat and then he goes away. The enemy is, a, is an intruder. He doesn't belong in that field. He, he comes at the hour of darkness he, and he's clever, isn't he? Clever enough to sow similar enough looking crops to enable them to grow among the wheat. The word for weeds here is a word for a wheat-like weed. It's like a, it's like a ryegrass with, with poisonous black seeds that, that looks like wheat and looks like it so much that it's hard to tell the difference. Of course, in the second section that we read uh, from verse 36, I think it is, um, we find out the, the identity of the enemy, don't we? He, he's none other than the devil himself. That word devil means slanderer, malicious one. It's the old serpent. It's the father of lies. It's the tempter. It's the god of this age. It's Satan himself. That's, that's the enemy. And Jesus reveals the mystery of the workings of the kingdom's enemy. What can we learn about the enemy and his schemes? Remember that word from from Ephesians chapter 6, the, the armor of God and his, and his schemes. What can we learn about them? Well, he's an opportunist. He, he, he sees the wheat and he, and he seizes his, his chance. First Peter 5 verse 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. He's an opportunist. He acts in, in stealth. Uh, it's, 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 the, it's under the cover of darkness. Uh, he, he does his business and off he goes. He's subtle. He loves to deceive. Of course, he deceived Adam and Eve in the beginning, didn't he? The field, the field is the world, we're told in verse 38. And in the world, the devil clearly sues his people among the people of the king. In church, out of church, wherever it suits his, his schemes. It's the world, isn't it? He's a master of disguise himself. We know that. Think about a passage like 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And this, as this verse makes plain, it's not just the devil, of course. He, ha he has his servants. He has his people. He knows he's going down, 
and he wants to take as many with him as possible. And his people are, are enemies too. They are deceived, yes, but they are also here in disguise. The devil loves undercover work. He loves to have his agents. His, his, he loves the wolf in sheep's clothing. He has his people looking like Christians. That's the idea, isn't it? People in churches, even. Members of churches, even. And people are fooled. It's one of his best moves. But we've got the intel from Jesus. The point here is that, is that the devil is going to bring people forward in the church or outside the church, so much like Christians, yet not Christians, that it will be very difficult to tell them apart. Prime to attack from the inside. But how will the farmer respond? Well, we move on to King's tactics. As the story continues, we see uh, what happens. Uh, the wheat has been sown and, and the weeds come up among them and, and some time passes, the sun's been shining and, and things begin to grow. They're not seeds anymore. They're little plants. Verse 26, the plants came up and bore green. That phrase is, is actually bore fruit. And the servants have, have noticed and they, they come to the, to the master and they, and, they, and they bring him the bad news. They, they say, we have weeds in your field, master. How can this be? Uh, didn't, you, didn't your men sow wheat, master? And the master has the explanation. He knows what's going on, doesn't he? He's not confused or taken by surprise. Verse 28, an enemy has done this, he says. He knows what's going on in his field. And the servants, well, they want to pull the weeds out now. They want to get rid of them. But the master, notice, he says no. Just, just leave them, he says. Leave them till, till when? Leave them till harvest. Then, then, then he'll have the, um, the reapers uh, gather them, the weeds, uh, bind them uh, and burn them. Uh, and then they'll gather the wheat and put it in my barn. After Jesus leaves the crowds behind in verse 36, his, his disciples come to him and ask him uh, for more. They, they, want, they want to know more. Uh, they want to know as much as they can about this. They, they, they want to understand. They've had their spiritual appetite whetted and they want more. They didn't just want to hear. They wanted to understand or, or to put it in our terms. They didn't just read their Bible. They wanted to study it. And so Jesus gives them more and explains to them the, the key characters in this story. Verse 37, the sower of the good seed is the son of man, he says. That, of course, is Jesus' name for himself. In the Gospels, he uses it many times. The master is Jesus. The field is the world, we're told. We talked about that already. It's his field, verse 24. It's clear as day that he, he owns this place. He always has. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Now, that grammar isn't great in English in the ESV. Do you see it there? I find it difficult reading it. But it's the ESV trying to deal with uh, the, the seed being singular, but the, but the sons are plural. <laughs> 
which is true but difficult to read. Uh, so, so the seed are the sons. They're the ones that have been saved by the Son of Man. They are the people of the Son of Man. Now in last week's parable of the soils, as Rodney brought to us, the seed was the word of God, remember? But here we need to be a little bit careful, don't we? Because it's a different story, it's a different point. Here the seed are the sons of the kingdom. The wheat seed are the Christians, in other words. Those who are Christ's people, those who submit to him, those who, 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 who are under his righteous reign already before the whole world comes under it at the end. Those who have already bowed the knee and turned to him in faith and trust. And the weeds, well, they are the sons of the evil one, the devil's own. And these plants, well, they grew up together in the world, don't they? Uh, the world is, is a mixed multitude. You can put it like that. For the enemy sows his people in among the sons of the kingdom in the world where we live. The Christians are mixed in with the unbelievers. But of course, unbelievers is not strong enough here. Because it's plainly taught that the sons of, of God are mixed with the enemies of God. But how does God act? How does he act? His servants want to gather the weeds. The dandelions on your lawn, right? They want to gather them. But Jesus says no. The tactic of God is to, is, is to leave them to grow. That's clear, isn't it? Now, why is that? The servants, they want to, to remove these weeds from the world as early as they can. But the master says no. Why not, why not root out the evil in the world, God? Why not judge them instantly, God? The servants' cries are like a whole lot of the Psalms, if you think about it, right? How long, cries the psalmist? I mean, how long do the unrighteous prosper? I mean, why are they so, why are there so many bad people getting on so great in this world? They're doing, they're doing just fine. Why are, our, why are your people suffering, God? How long, O oh Lord? How many times have you read that? Why does the farmer leave them? Verse 29. Because they become entwined among the wheat, and you can't uproot one without harming the other coming with it. That's what it says. To gather the weeds would be to endanger the wheat. Which is a way of explaining that it is for God's good reasons that the unbelievers, the devil's sons, are left. In other words, he wants the best for his people, right? And even though that doesn't seem obvious to us or, or easily understood, that, that, that is his aim. He has his reasons, and they're for our good. The king's tactics are to, to leave the weeds, the, the enemies, the enemy's people that are among us. We grew together in God's world, and you cannot always spot the difference. They might look the same in the short term, but, but of course God plays the longer game. For in time, as the crop reaches maturity, as you see on the screen, it begins to show, doesn't it? As the fruit comes, it becomes more obvious which is which. Notice that the servants could now tell the difference. You've got weeds in your, feed, in your field, master. 
but the master wants to leave them still. Be careful of the enemy's schemes, right? Be careful of, of weeds that look like wheat. That's the second point, isn't it? Just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean they are. Their lives will show it in time. That's the best way to look at it. Uh, The work of God growing them will show itself. Uh, The fruit will come. The fruit of a life changed by God. The fruit of one who says Jesus is Lord and means it will show. God, of course, knows who his people are right from the off. His redeemed people. But as far as visibility from our perspective, well, we need to think in the longer term, which is the way God speaks, and we need to um, look longer at the fruit in their lives. And God, for his good reasons, leaves them to grow among the wheat, the enemy's sons. And God's decision is not to uproot all the evil in the world today, but to leave it to harvest. Ever um, played Spot the Difference in a, in a child's activity book? Uh, well, we, of course, have had everything but the kitchen sink out during lockdown to keep them entertained. Yeah. Some of you feel my pain. <laughs> Sometimes uh, the differences from one picture to another were not that easy to spot. But then the back page is great, isn't it? You know the back page where all the answers are? Where the circles are around the differences? You see, at harvest time, at the end of the age, the reapers come on the last page, and it's then easy to to do the who's who, to spot the difference. Because you don't even have to look or to spot it now or to wonder for the destination tells you. Where the angels send them, in other words. And the end, this is our final point, it's, it's opposing outcomes. I want you to see that. When we think about people, we, we tend not to think in, in absolutes, with good reason, because we don't have all the information. But, but, but you don't really get, you know, if you think about you know, cop shoes or something, you used to get the goodies and the baddies. And they were very obviously different. Whereas these days you get, you get grey baddies and grey goodies. So you don't really know, you get, I don't know, people that are mostly good with a few obvious feelings or you get, you know, really bad men who are excellent fathers and the stuff sort of, you know, gets all sort of mixed up, doesn't it? But God doesn't see things that way. You notice that? It's all very black and white here. It's all very black and white. The good wheat here and the bad weeds there. As we learn about the working of the enemy today and the king's longer game, we learn to be careful again, don't we? Because as we try to apply this passage, we come to a number of uncomfortable, whether you like it or not, truths. That's what we come to today. Notice we are someone's son. You're either a son of the kingdom Or you're a son of the evil one. Now that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Because we're forced to ask, which are you of ourselves? (laughs) For they're very different, aren't they? There's no in-betweener option. 
There's, there's no third way. Uh, you're either a son of the kingdom or you're a son of the evil one. You say that's a bit extreme, but of course it wasn't me who wrote it. Uh, and God, the judge of all the earth, who wrote it sees in extremes. Whether we like it or whether we don't, we're someone's son. Of course, the complication is that you could be in disguise, uh, you could be fooling people, you could be undercover for the evil one, perhaps you're, you're even fooling yourself, that's possible. Misunderstanding the Christian gospel, thinking it's about lifestyle choices or something, I don't know, I don't swear, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't sleep around, I go to church, I'm okay. Thinking that because your parent is a Christian that you're automatically covered when you're not, that's possible. Fooling yourself. We're sons of someone. Whose are you? The second uncomfortable, whether you like it or whether you don't, truth, is that we're going somewhere. What are the two options at the end of the story? Did you notice? You're either gathered by the angels and thrown into the fiery furnace, or you're gathered by the angels and taken into the safety of the master's barn. Some echoes of, of Daniel in this. You'll remember the fiery furnace in Daniel, chapter 3. And that's, of course, fitting because Daniel is, in the latter chapters, lots about the, the end of the world. Like Revelation in the Old Testament, kind of. <laughs> Think about Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And we say, that's great, wonderful news. He deserves to go there. Doesn't give me a second. Doesn't, get, doesn't cause me an anxious thought that that's going to happen to him, right? All in agreement. But the problem's verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because it's not just the devil, right? It's all sin that is uprooted. Isn't that right? All causes of sin and all lawbreakers that must be gathered out of his kingdom. Which brings home an incredibly uncomfortable fact. That you and I know many, many people who are on the wrong side of this. Because it's not just the devil, it's all the sons of the evil one. And that gives the preacher no pleasure whatsoever, and never should, by the way. That brings dread to all of us for our loved ones and friends who are on the wrong side of it. Lord, have mercy, we say. Lord, help us to warn them, we say. Lord, give them eyes to see and ears to hear before it's too late, we say. See, our enemies are the very ones we're trying to save. There's a complex one for you, but it's the truth. Look at the difference in the sons of the kingdom, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The difference between 42 and 43 is serious, isn't it? You go from to the righteous who are shining like sun in the kingdom of their father. I mean, it gets even more uncomfortable when we realize that only the righteous are safe. Because we're forced to ask, am I righteous? 
with that very statement, aren't we? Have I been a, have I been a cause of sin or, or law-breaking, right? Have I, have I broken the laws of God, the Ten Commandments? That's the summary. Because we know that when Jesus talks about righteous, then he's talking proper righteous, because that's the way he always talks. We're forced to ask, have I been good as far as the perfect standard of God is good? Have I? For, the, for as Romans reminds us, there, there's a problem because there's none righteous, not even one. Before holy God, I'm a weed in and of myself. That's the uncomfortable truth. Whose side are we really on? Have you, have you told a lie this week? Have you, have you stolen something? Maybe something from a couple of hours from the boss? I don't know. Have you, have you looked at a woman or a man the way you should not? I mean, we're, we're all lawbreakers, right? If it's a question of righteousness, then I haven't a leg to stand on. If it's all sinning and lawbreaking that must be rooted out of uh, the kingdom, then I'm going to the furnace. That's what that means. But thanks be to God. There is righteousness on offer. There's a way. There's a way to cross the great divide. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. You see, in Christ we are safe. That's the gospel. It's not, you know... Be a good one. You'll be all right. It's you're, you're, you're lost. You're completely lost. You're due for the furnace. But Christ. But Christ. In him we are counted as fit for the barn at the harvest. If you're a Christian, then Christ is your righteousness. Do you remember that? It's not that he was your righteousness. He is your righteousness. You still need him. You really do. Because you're still breaking those commands, if you're honest enough. It's certain, isn't it, that the harvest is coming. There's an end game to this world, the way Jesus tells it. And he knows. It's heading year by year, day by day, moment by moment, in a particular direction, this world. There was day one in human history, and there's going to be final day in human history. The close of the age is coming. And whether it comes in, in your lifetime or in 10 lifetimes or in 100 lifetimes, the point is the urgency here, right? I mean, it's urgent here for Jesus. There are other parables. Maybe we'll come across some of them later in the summer. There, there are other parables that make the point even more clearly. But how else do you account for the urgent language whenever there's a couple of thousand years left when Jesus tells this story you see what I mean yet he's still being urgent about it no matter how long is left it's urgent in other words it's urgent it's, it's urgent today and whether you're in Christ and covered in his righteous life or, or paddling your own boat deceived by the devil makes a big difference doesn't it when the harvest is coming Because of the vast difference in final destinations. Because of that, it's, it's, it's wise, isn't it, to examine ourselves as we consider this text today. To dig away at the garden and ask, am I in Christ? 
to be careful to, like we read in Second Peter, make our calling an election sure. Be careful, because he's clever, you know, the devil. Be careful, because an unbeliever may be hard to spot, you may be fooled. Only in the long run would you really know. But be careful that you yourself are not found with an unbelieving heart, deceiving yourself. That's the point, isn't it? This is not to waver the earnest believer, by the way. No, the Lord is gentle with his little ones. But, 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 to, but not to just presume that you're okay either, you see? To be like good disciples, to seek to know more rather than just enough to get us by. For God sees in extremes. There's no gray with him. It's light and dark, it's wheat and tares, it's sheep and goats, it's the coming of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one. The difference is great, and so we need to be sure. Jesus tells this story to shock his audience and to shock you and to shock me. That's his intention, to force you to think about your father. Is he the father of lies or is he, or is he the heavenly father, your heavenly father? Are you a son of the kingdom or of the evil one? The subtle enemy of all that is good who, who hides his children among the believers, who, who, who deceives because that's what, what he's been doing since the beginning. To force you to think about the final destination of yourself and everyone you know. To get your focus on what really matters. Because having Christ makes all the difference. You can imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, strong as it is, difficult and uncomfortable as we consider the doctrine of eternal damnation before our very eyes as Jesus speaks it. Give us help and grace as we seek to be careful with the evil one, with his tactics, and yet to know that in Christ we are as right as rain. And we pray this in his name. Amen.